0: But war is no, no comedy for sure. And we're just coming off the cusp of, of a few days ago, uh, memor- having a day of memorial for those, who, those fallen heroes in battle. And in keeping with that, the timing was perfect because where we're at in our series on the book of Revelation is in Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. Now, yes, I'm skipping over 1 and 2, but um, I'll explain that in a little bit. But this... This passage, of Romans, I mean Revelation, chapter six, verses three through eight, is on war and famine and death. Now I know Wednesday nights are supposed to be the oasis. You've had a hard work week start already, and you want to come and get refilled and and rejuvenated. Um, but think of it this way: as we get into this passage, if you are a believer, then we're simply going to talk about the things you're going to get to avoid. If you're not a believer tonight, if you're not on, on, uh, in a good relationship with God, then, then your opportunity tonight to change that because you're going to read exactly what you could avoid. But whenever I think of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, a song by the doors always pops into my head, these horsemen, the riders on the storm. You know, as I listen to what's being said over the airways, many people are scared about what's happening. I posted a uh, Andy Stanley video recently, where he told everybody over the age of 45 to quit scaring the children. And what he talked about is the fact that we have come to a point where we are so fearful as believers, we've lost our faith, we've become fearful of everything around us in the future and the politics and all that, and we're scaring the children. We're basically gloom, doom, and despair. And instead of having faith, and he talked about the fact that at one time, we looked at, towards heaven and said, yeah, but we're victorious in the end and we didn't let the world rub off on us like we do now as a whole as believers. We're almost casting a darker shadow on this planet right now as believers in the, our attitudes and what we say about what's happening than the unbelievers themselves. But because no matter where we turn, everyone has this sort of impending doom that things are, are only getting worse. And to them, it seems like everything is gonna, uh, going to hell in a handbasket, and it's all coming to a head real soon. And this fear isn't a matter of political or religious persuasion. Even the UFOers, the ones that, that believe in UFOs, believe the world is about to experience something cataclysmic. I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of leeway tonight if I give funny looks, but I just got bifocals, and so... Some of you look like you're bouncing up and down a little bit once in a while, at least the lower half of you. So <laughs> I, may, I may accidentally dismiss us for a restroom break or something in the middle of this because it looks like everybody's jittering. Um, but <clears throat> this, this uh, mindset that we have um, that everything is gloom, doom, and despair, well, yes, in the end times, it will be. And yes, the Scripture tells us to be on the lookout and be on the watch, But you notice scripture does not, when it tells us that, negate the passages that tell us to be full of joy or tell us that the joy of the Lord is our strength or or that we should not not be fearful of what we'll eat or drink um, or what we'll wear. So so it all has to be in balance. We have to have that in balance. There's one radio talk show talking head, and if I I imitate him, you know who I'm talking about maybe if you pay attention to those things. I don't really listen to him much because I heard him maybe two years ago, and he was telling people to start storing up food and all this stuff that's going to happen in a few months, and if you didn't have food stored up, you're going to go hungry and all this. And recently I heard a recent one, and he's telling the same thing. Now, I don't believe that's in uh, contradiction to Scripture, to be a good steward, to save up some reserves and have a, a storehouse of things. But if you're living in fear, ready to, to duck under the concrete slab, at the drop of a hat every day, then that's not the way the Lord would like you to live. But it is like the world knows a killer storm is on its way. And while I've said all that and told you we shouldn't be fearful, it is for sure I've watched people who uh, normally would not be on the news speaking, uh, military uh, personnel who are highly engaged in in helping to combat some of the things that are happening in the world and saying that that it is like a petri dish right now that, that it's like someone is putting uh, accelerants in a ditch just ready to throw a match on it, that the the way these riots and all the things in the world is just coming to a boiling point. But it's a difference between knowing what's coming, seeing it, and then losing faith in the Lord and His power to, to rescue us and then participating in the gloom, doom, and despair in our daily lives. This fear is beginning to set in in the world, the sense of destruction that, that's coming. And for those who don't see or sense that the end is near, Jesus says to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you now know, you, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Matthew 16, 2-3. So we are to know the signs of the times. We are to be aware. We're, we are to, to use the knowledge and the wisdom and discernment God's given us to know what's happening around us. The Apostle John records for us this killer storm and the riders who will bring it as, as uh, he witnesses Jesus' opening of the first four seals. If you weren't with us in the beginning of the series, if you'll remember as John writes this book of Revelation, He's caught up, and he's he's literally seeing things that that we will eventually see. He he sees the throne room of heaven. He's seeing the things that are to come. And this first seal rider, the Antichrist uh, that's mentioned, uh, we may spend more time on him another day, but tonight I actually want to bypass that a little bit. If there's anything in Revelation that gets the biggest focus, it's Antichrist. I mean, you can go on Facebook posts that are anti-Obama, and you'll find a comparison to him and... Some rendering of rendering of the Antichrist, right? And and they'll they'll merge them like as if they know what the Antichrist is going to look like. But um, we're going to look at the other three of these um, riders, these seal riders. We will the war, famine, and death. So if we jump into the second rider, war, and we read Revelation six verses three and four, it says in the ESV, it says. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. See, Jesus opens a second seal and out rides war, riding on a fiery red horse. And power was given to him to take away the peace brought by the first seal, rider, the Antichrist. If you'll you'll remember, and I I will touch on the Antichrist back and forth a little, but the Antichrist is going to come like a great leader, uh, like an angel of light. He's going to come like a he's going to be a false messiah, going to come as a savior and bring peace when no one else can bring peace. But then we get to this second rider, and when Jesus opens the seal, this rider is allowed to come, the rider of war, come and take away the peace that the Antichrist has brought. So it's really a false peace because anything God does is is lasting. In other words, whatever restraint existed up to this point that has been preserving peace, God has given this rider the power to remove it. So this rider is the seal rider of strife, of violence, of assault, division, abuse, anger, hate, uprising, murder, insurrection, war, and bloodshed. I mean, think of anything Destructive, and that's what this writer is bringing. And he he divides race against race, class against class, neighbor against neighbor, employee against employer, spouse against spouse, children against parents, religion against religion, and nation against nation. Man, if you read uh, through the book of Revelation and put these pieces together in this description I just gave you, wouldn't you say... That no matter who, if Obama was not the Antichrist, wouldn't you say that the stage is being set for him? I mean, you read that. I mean, we've got religion against religion. We've got everyone against everyone. In fact, this one um, uh, guy who is, uh, uh, well, won't we'll go into his background, but he was being asked. Um, his job for the government has been to look out for civil unrest uh, across the world. To to be a student of knowing how to combat and um, redirect uh, forces and and to basically combat when there's civil unrest. And he's saying that in the United States that we have every telltale sign right now at play, and he went through the long list, that all it's going to take is the election. And he didn't say it would take Hillary winning or Donald winning or whoever. He just said the election. Because someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. And the ones that lose, both sides are fighting and actually carrying out violent acts on both sides. I mean, we get into, well, the media's drumming up one or the other, whatever you want to believe. But the fact of the matter is, people are ready to start physically fighting each other in this country. One thing that really opened my eyes on on, uh, Memorial Day, we were supposed to go out and do some things. It was raining, so I was on Facebook a little more, and I... Me and the kids, we did a war memorial, but my niece posted a video that was basically a timeline of all the conflicts of the U.S. from the Revolutionary War to present, and it gave the death toll of what that war caused. And I was astounded because while I thought I knew history, I'd always thought of the Vietnam War being one of the, the largest. I thought of World War II, but you know what the largest loss of life was of any of them? The Civil War. When brothers fought against brothers, and immediately after I saw that video, it's like I, I should, I just felt like there's a sermon already because the first thing that came to mind is, and this is a saying that came to my head, is the greatest devastation is when when any one unified group begins to fight amongst themselves. And I thought about church fights, I thought about other things, family fights. It's the most destructive, the most hurtful, the most damaging of anything. War is big business, and it's bigger than pornography and drugs put together. Hundreds of billions of dollars are spent each year supporting military activities around the world. And the more we spend on defense, the more it heightens insecurity. The more countries spend on their military, the more uh, paranoia runs rampant. I will say for the U.S., there's been one exception of all the wars to that, and that's because I... I remember it pretty vividly because I was almost to the age that I could have gone and that that was Desert Storm. I think there's 300 and some American lives lost. The lowest on the totem pole of all the lost. Um, I remember having the feeling that we kicked tail and took names. I mean, you know, everybody's saying, I'm proud to be an American. Remember that? You know, and you, everybody's getting chills by that because we really went and fought. I mean, we used our superior power and... and uh but now, after we got prideful and thought that was going to be the way it would always be, now we're fighting ISIS and seeing a whole different story. I mean, what I found is th- that's sad is that a military spending in third world countries is more than 50% greater than what they spend on health and education. Most third world countries spend more than half of their money that they totally have uh, 50% greater I'm sorry, let me repeat that. 50% greater spending than on health and education. In other words, what's more important to them is fighting than being educated or being healthy. Yet there's always been wars, there will always be wars, and it only gets worse, we're softening up the world to this idea of war continually, getting more desensitized to it. I had a discussion with some of my family about uh, the fact I don't believe the draft would be a good idea anymore, and I'm not a Bernie Sanders follower, you know? But I don't believe it would be a good idea because in World War II, we had a nation where people got behind the war and all about it. And being a foreigner or veteran and knowing other veterans, I'm telling you, half of our population, I'd be scared to be in the trenches with some folks now. Because they're so wishy-washy about what they believe about the war or about fighting for their country that... I'd be afraid I'd end up there alone anyway, or they'd cause me to get killed. But, but this, this time, what we're reading about here, uh, this time of peace, it's like any peace treaty that, that man tries to form, it's short-lived. Because riding right behind the Antichrist is war, and with his arrival, all hope of permanent peace is smashed. This is a very good, vivid picture of how Satan operates even now. Satan will always bring you a time of some peace and get you feeling comfortable before he socks you in the gut. He'll do it with drinking, drugs. Uh, he'll do it with uh, relationships. He'll do it with anything. He'll, he'll get you thinking, this is working out great for me. All the while hiding the fact that because you're defying God, there's some destruction coming. And so we see that here as war is following the antichrist and the peace, the false peace that he brought. Uh, But where do wars really come from? The Apostle James probably says it best when he says in James 4, 1-2, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that that war in, in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. That's what most people are arguing about our government now, that they say most wars are over really oil or anything else, but not over freedom, true freedom. And maybe there's some truth that now we're seeing where our government won't stick up for some of the military when they're in a hot situation, but if it has something to do with the commodity they want, they've got all the troops there in heartbeat. And wars and battles start from within the human heart. James says they come from our desire for pleasure where where pleasure is the chief end of life. That's why I posted it and I've said it several times. There is no leader that can make this nation great again. Because you can't from the Oval Office or you can't from some government office change the hearts of men. You can't change a heart. You might be able to change some surroundings and some some, uh, some financial situations to, to their financial situation. But if a man is set on destruction and he's got the devil... Uh, working to destroy him, you could put bucket loads of money in his hand, it'll all be gone. It'll be squandered. We can go to Scripture for that. We can look at the prodigal son. We can look at other stories that that these resources that they're trying to throw at people, trying to fix their lives, and it's just not going to work. And so a battle pursues within the human soul, and it's the desires of man in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit of God, Galatians 5.17 says. It's because of this internal war that's raging inside humanity that makes external peace between people impossible. I will tell you that even in the church, peace is impossible unless everyone, unless the people in the church are constantly striving to let the Holy Spirit operate in their life. The moment you come to church with your emotions shut off and coming out of a sense of duty and not out of a sense of trying to be changed and let the Holy Spirit change you, you will front a bad attitude to someone. You will take something wrong from someone. You will suppose they meant something when they said something else. Something will happen and dissension will stir up and the enemy will get a fo- foothold because you will only came with a, a wrong attitude in coming into God's house. I'm not saying a bad attitude. I'm saying one of just indifference, one of just not allowing the Holy Spirit to have full, free reign in your life. So it's because this in, of this internal war that's raging inside humanity that makes external peace between people impossible. This is why peace never lasts. But to to have true peace and peace at last, we have to stop turning our attention outward and begin turning our attention inward and upward. When, we went to, when Jennifer and I went to James River, one of their their main taglines was, uh, let's see if I can make sure I don't mess it up, it was, uh, inward in commitment, outward in worship, or inward in commitment, upward in relationship, outward in evangelism. Something to that effect. But what they're trying to draw people to is that there has to be this constant effort of uh, building the relationship inside with God. Or then also... The relationship with God I'm sorry upward relationship among the other people and then also using it to impact people outside the church but true peace starts when we have peace with God inside us all all there exists is a selfish and self-centered nature called sin that keeps us apart from God and one another and until this nature comes under the power of God then there'll be no peace you see you can look at a couple or a family and say, well, they aren't believers, but they seem to really love each other. But you know what? As soon as one person starts having to struggle and the other person isn't getting the affection or love or attention that they used to get without the, without the help of the Holy Spirit to direct them and guide them, then, then once it stops being what they signed up for, then Satan has an opportunity to break apart that relationship. Only God can bring peace, and that only through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Himself confirms this if we were to look in John chapter 14, verse twenty seven. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let me read that again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you give it to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It means, if you look at that and start dissecting that, it means don't search for peace in this world. You've got to search for peace with God because it's his peace that he left with you. Not as the world tries to to create peace, because the world would want the believer to buddy up and try to make peace with someone who Satan is definitely using to try to destroy him. Much of the world right now, especially unbelievers, what they're picking apart about Scripture is all the wars that God actually aided His people in, in killing others. Again, we have to look at the fact that we didn't create this world. We didn't create uh, God's perfectness, his, his righteousness, His place as, as the, the perfect righteous judge. And we didn't... One thing we did play a part in is sin. If you want true peace, peace of heart and soul, then you need to turn your heart over to Jesus Christ. And Paul said this in Romans 5 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the human heart is deceitful above everything else. And therefore, humanity believes it can find peace that it can find peace on their own that they don't need God but unfortunately their way leads only to everlasting death and separation from God and Proverbs says that while there is a way that seems right to humanity the end is only death in Proverbs fourteen twelve, you know I don't really do counseling as such premarital counseling I've been doing that with a couple a uh, little bit but that's really not getting into usually deep issues and if so I send them off but the one thing I would tell any couple, whether I'm a certified counselor or not, that I know is a God principle, is if you're not praying together, then you may not be staying together. You look at the divorce ratio of what's happening in the world, and I can point to you, couples I know, that I know for a fact that they pray together. I'm not talking about one of them in on one side of their house, and the other when they have their own private relationship with God that never intermingles, but I'm talking about those who pray over each other. And you'll find a couple that is unbreakable and I'll challenge couples many times and it's amazing to me the ones I will challenge how difficult they find that to be now now let's stop and think about this on this whole subject of peace and war we're talking about the family unit now if a husband and wife find it difficult to pray over each other that God might bring them closer together and them closer to God and bring peace to the home If that is difficult, then how much more difficult will it be to find peace with a brother or sister in Christ in the church? And then how much harder will it be to find peace with that neighbor down the street that's not a believer? And then you'll find the root of why. You'll find all this slanderous stuff going out about unbelievers from believers on Facebook and other things, just calling them idiots and and, and using all derogatory kinds of comments about people who don't believe like we do. The Christians should be the ones set an example that that's not how you build peace. We should have the peacemaker living in us, driving peace out of us to others. But we seem to be the ones that are really good at throwing fuel on the fire and stirring up turmoil with those who are unbelievers. We, we want to expect unbelievers to act as believers as if we never were an unbeliever. We get so prideful forgetting the fact that we're saved out of sin or that we still sin. And then we want to point the finger at somebody else. And because we've got the righteous judge on our side and we're children of God, now we have the right to to just slice them through with our words. The Apostle Paul makes this observation in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So it will be that they are the that the very thing the world seeks that is peace, will actually lead to destruction as war rides up rides down upon the world, removing peace from the earth revelation six eight will tell us that over a fourth of the world population during this time will will die now by today's standards, that's well over a billion people Now we're not talking about believers we're talking about this is. If you're a believer then you get to you get to skip this stuff. My point before was if that's us that we're the ones that are gone and this is the kind of wrath that God is bringing out on those that are unbelievers, why do we think that we need to spend our time bringing wrath on them through our words and our actions now? John seeing this and this should be a clue to believers that God doesn't want us to spend our time trying to bring the punishment, the punishment's already set. It's already going to happen. John got the vision of this. You don't have to guess at what God's going to do. Over a fourth of the population of the world will perish during this time. And this war lasts three and a half years following the war comes a third seal rider. And this, this rider is famine. Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. You've got to understand the scales are an indication in famine of, of rationing during this time, that food and the oil and the wine were something only the rich could afford. So if you were a middle class or lower class person, you're starving to death at this time. But just imagine you're going in and you're gonna, you've got, you got a little bit of money and you go in and you've got, because of the prices and the famine, you can maybe buy some milk and maybe a little bread. But yet you get in there and they're scarce. There's nothing on the shelves. This is the kind of thing that, that, John's, that John's being, that this, this rider is bringing this famine The black horse uh, in Scripture many times representing famine. Um, That black uh, signifying suffering and mourning. And it's the sorrow and anxiety that the world will experience through this coming worldwide famine. I remember when Jennifer and I um, were on our one-year anniversary, we uh, won a cruise, a seven-day cruise, and we happened to be leaving out of Miami and coming back. But on the way back, Hurricane Katrina had been in progress. And they were diverting us away from our, our port because of what was going on. And we were getting words of our uh, uh, church home. They were sending folks uh, down to bring relief efforts. And watched as, as we were sitting in our, our room on that ship, we were watching news and seeing the, the folks that were the raiding the, the grocery stores, the stealing, the looting, and the rioting, and that type of thing. Dave Ramsey talks about the fact that there's this big push, everybody buy gold, buy gold because eventually dollars not going to be worth anything. And he said that's a bunch of hogwash because if you look through all history, all the way back to the Roman Empire, anytime there's been mass destruction, you can't get anything for gold. But if you have water and food, it's as good as gold. See, the world and what they're trying to do and and peace and our efforts to try to preserve ourselves, we aren't as smart as God and we're always going to go in the wrong direction. If God is going to bring judgment, then you if if you plan with a bunch of food and water, then you'll need gold. If you plan with a bunch of gold, then you wouldn't need food and water. You get what I'm saying? You can't change God's plan. And this is what's being projected here that this is going to happen and people will be be suffering because of famine and, and loss of food. Famine always follows war. Further withholding food is often a technique of war making food a weapon. Food is withheld, fields are burned, and those, uh, those needed uh, to um, till the harvest of the crops either are dead or have been away at war or too weak to work. So after any war, there's always some sort of famine. Uh, my dad was talking to us about his brother, Bud, who died in World War II. Um, he uh, went to be a paratrooper and, and had several accidents, but he ended up marching through much of the war and then being killed uh, in Germany. And they're talking about how uh, when they had the draft that many of the men were gone. And so, you know, the women were working and all the things were happening, but also the rationing of fuel and, and food and other things because there were shortages. So even within some of our lifetimes, some that are still living would remember times that right after war that this rationing would take place. To understand the seriousness of this famine is to understand the meaning of the words a denarius at that time represented a day's wage. So whatever you make in a day right now, that's what, um, that's what maybe some grain would cost you. That's what a little bit of, and barley wasn't known to be the choice food. That was actually for the paupers. That was only if you had nothing else. In fact, a lot of times they fed the barley to animals. It wasn't choice food. So for a day's wage, a person could buy only enough for themselves or for their family. And so if you're lucky enough to find work, the money you'd earn would only be enough to pay for your food, which begs the question, how will you provide for the other necessities of life like a roof over your head and utilities? See, this voice goes on to say, don't harm the oil or the wine. Oil and wine are often associated with the rich, and they are luxury items in this ancient world. Even in my short four and a half t- years of pastoring, if I could tell you the number one request for assistance, which we can't keep up with, we, we soon figured out we couldn't, and not many other churches can, is weekly I get ca- calls. In fact, I got three this week. Do you help with utilities, and do you help with rent? Every week. I've had as high as seven or eight calls in a week. Now, when you're talking, somebody may have five or $600 in rent, and you've got five to six people calling a week, we all know, I mean, uh, I'd like to say we had some millionaires in here, but we know where the money comes from, right? God moving on people's hearts and they put the money in the offering. And so if we're just hardworking, you know, uh, folks and no millionaires in here, then, then the average is we can't afford to support other people's rent and utilities. Now imagine if most churches, and I've talked to a lot, if, if most churches are not able to do that and the people are calling the churches, why are they calling churches? Because the government organizations aren't helping with that. So now you imagine, inject this time where the Antichrist has come, false peace, now things are all going to hell in a handbasket, war has come, now famine, now people can barely buy food, and we're talking about the world. Now people don't have shelter and these comforts of utilities and things are a thing of the past. You see, I'm not trying to create a horror story here. What I'm telling you is for those of you who have chosen to follow Christ, the whole point is he's been drawing you unto him because a just holy God cannot let sin go on unanswered forever. And if this world is bent on pushing God out of the schools, out of the courts, out of everything, and then in the end say, now we don't even want you Christians to be able to practice your beliefs in this country because it's too offensive. It, it, it's a hate speech. If that's what's coming, then folks be very thankful that the Lord has set up a plan that you can Avoid what the very times that we're reading what this is saying is that while the famine is worldwide it's not it's not universal that is it will mainly affect the poor in the middle class so uh, unfortunately some of us would like to see those who are greedy and became wealthy through stepping on other people, but some of them will uh, will be able to survive some of this but imagine again walking in the grocery store and only having enough for a loaf of bread or some milk. And only find them in short supply. And this is when we'll see uh, class segregation as the wealthy survive and the poor starve. And over the years, this study of famine is one of the more difficult ones to do. You see the pictures and and you you hear the statistics and they are heart-wrenching. But around the world, soil is being swept away and washed away 10 to 40 times faster than it's being replenished. 10 to 40 times faster. It's destroying crop land and and, uh, the size of Indiana every year. So imagine the state of Indiana that that land is now no more good for crops and it's not being replenished. Eventually the world will not have the soil to be able to plant and grow food. Soil erosion is second only to the population growth as the biggest environmental problem the world faces. And I also heard a statistic recently that those of us in the uni- United States, that we are only 12% of the world population. I hope I don't get this wrong. 12% of the world population. We, we are consuming the majority of meat and, and all products. And then if you factor in Europe, that there's most of the countries that are very consuming very little of the products. So if you can imagine, those countries already have little that famine hits them, it's going to be devastating. The vast majority, 99.7% of human food, comes from cropland, which is shrinking by almost 37,000 square miles a year due to soil erosion. While more people than ever, more than 37 billion people are, are malnourished, in 2013, 33% of the world's population is considered to be starving. One-third of our world is starving now in 2013 and it's continuing to get worse. 1.5 million children die every year from hunger and every 3.6 seconds someone dies from hunger. 800 million people suffer from hunger and malnutrition and 936 million people don't have enough to eat. This is where I started doing some reflection and I thought, you know, I'm a believer that you if you want to tell people about christ and their belly is hungry put food in their belly first so they'll be able to hear what you're saying and i'm not talking about buying converts i'm talking about meet the needs that are blaring so that they can understand the compassion that christ has for them but there's a rate that this is going and with the the end times being obvious that it's coming then we need to be doing more about evangelizing this world because we're not going to be able to solve this problem We're not going to be able to solve it completely. The only thing that's going to save these people is if they last to the point that Jesus comes back, either way, they'll be in heaven with him if they hear the gospel and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. One doctor with International Medical Corps says, we are talking about losing a whole generation. People cannot go without food for as long as these people have without doing permanent damage to their minds and bodies. One famine observer said, "As, as famine unfolds, uh, antisocial behavior, hoarding, crime, etc., increased. Social, uh, uh, social arrangements erode. People see or abandon their assets, and migration out of that society accelerates. You think of Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. Some of these cities where you go in and, and buildings have not only been abandoned, they're trash, and people have evacuated uh, whole, whole areas of the city. It all came from mismanagement, uh, from, from government and, and companies and people just deserting, and the, 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 the poor people of the area end up hanging around just long enough because they don't have any other option, but all the money has left. In the midst of all this, uh, malnutrition rates soar, infectious diseases spread, and people die in unusual numbers. And then this leads us to the fourth and last horseman of the apocalypse, the fourth rider death. Revelation chapter chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. The imagery is startling beyond imagination. The actual color of this horse, I've always believed to be like the white horse. One of my favorite movies, with Clint Eastwood, Pale Rider. Yeah? I, I love that movie. I haven't watched it in a long time, so if there's anything not, not good in it, don't hold me liable here. I just haven't seen it in a long time. But, but he comes in a white horse. But you know, the word used for pale in the scripture actually comes from are um, some words uh, that, that are connected to um, chloroform and others, and the word root actually gives an indication of pale green. And when I started looking into this, it's the color of decay, and it looks like a corpse in the advanced stage of corruption. So you got to understand this horse is very reflective of the rider, death. Coming into this pale green, sickly-looking uh, death horse. And if it wasn't enough, following this rider in its wake is hell itself. And this will be the greatest destruction of human life so far ever recorded. One-fourth of the human population will die with these last three horsemen. Notice the wording, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death. But what is even more telling is that this last word for death is the Greek word for pestilence, which back then meant death. And this fits into what we know about the aftermath of warfare. First comes famine, which is followed closely by pestilence and disease. One thing that was mentioned when we were talking with my family about the the 750,000, the largest loss of life for the Civil War, is that many of those didn't die from a bullet, didn't die from a sword, didn't die from a bayonet. They, They died from disease. Because one thing that follows war is when there's that mass of casualties, then disease will follow that because there's no way for them to keep up with all the the dying, and it brings in disease. We also saw that back in England with the catacombs and and the, the plagues that hit, that once it got to a certain point, it just began to become rampant because of disease. The question isn't when infectious diseases are going to be wiped out, but rather it's where the next... Dear, a uh, uh, new plague will appear. I can't go on Facebook anymore without somebody saying, "Hey, there's these epidemics being seen across the United States. Watch out going to this state. But many of the bacteria that caused infectious diseases and that were once thought by doctors and scientists as being eradicated or under control, are making a big comeback. Has anybody noticed that? Diseases that when I was a kid and growing up, I just thought those were diseases of the past that they'd been completely wiped out. Diseases like tuberculosis and hepatitis, meningitis, dysentery, typhus, staph infections, venereal diseases, and there are also new ones to fight, such as Ebola virus, which hasn't been stopped, and but rather is increasing, and all along with still fatal HIV or AIDS virus, So consider for a moment past plagues, the Black Plague that killed up to 50% of Europe's population. And it's regarded as the greatest biological environmental disaster in human history. In the 6th century, there was uh, Justina's Plague that wiped out 25% of Europe's population. But the HIV-AIDS is making these look like child's play. In 2013, 35 million people have become infected 3.2 3.2 million of these are children. Every year, 2.1 million people become infected and 1.5 million die. And since 1981, 39 million people have died. And to date, we have no cure. If you want to know why it's important to New Song for us to increase our missions giving, to increase our, our help to our missionaries, like the Live Dead program, if you'll remember Addison Ryle and his wife and now young children being there. They're going to countries where missionaries in the past, when they went there, they packed their stuff in a coffin, knowing that they'd probably be buried there because most missionaries would die. We've got some who are stepping up the plate saying, you know what, time is near. These countries, people are dying by the the millions. We've got to do something to reach them with the gospel. We may not be able to fix their their temporary earthly uh, torment, but we can make sure that they have eternal life, and they miss eternal torment. One British reporter said that AIDS has so decimated Uganda that Uganda will not be able to exist as a nation. A nation will not be able to exist because of this. One report had 9 out of 10 Ugandans infected. 9 out of 10. What's interesting is that beasts are included in this destruction. It's been said that the most destructive creature on the earth is a rat. It's menace to human health and food supplies. I can tell you that we thought we lived a little bit in the country in Bella Vista because we had woods around us, but we were still in Bella Vista. But we move out by my parents, and I'm in constant battle with mice trying to get in our house. I mean, it's like those little guys, they know how to get in every nook and cranny. It's a brand new house that should be airtight, but they find a way in. But it's been estimated that $1 billion of food is lost each year in the United States alone to the rat. But also, they carry fleas that sometimes carry bubonic plague, which is over 95% fatal and has destroyed half of Europe's population in the 14th century. And so as famine follows war and pestilence follows famine, what we see is that a quarter of the earth's population dies during these three sealed judgments. And as bad as this seems, the worst is still to come. And so are you ready? Because the writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, I didn't want to give some gloom and doom message. But the problem is is that while we've been having church there are many people who have ventured away from church long ago and, and their heart has been hardened over and over. And now we have a generation who believes that church is about hate speech. Church is about, about preventing people from living their lives. We should have been reaching out long before in mass numbers with the numbers of people we had in churches. And now the averages is that we're losing most of our, our youth. Before they hit college, they never return to church again. Church, we can't sit by and just come to church for our own benefit and think because we are believers that somehow God is going to save us, but we have no responsibility for those who are dying because of the sin and the plagues that are hitting this world. It gives me peace to know where I'll be. It does. I mean, I'm just like anyone else. You know, when I have a day off, I'm thinking about what would I like to do for myself today? I would like some rest. Oh yeah, I forgot the weeds are up to my armpits, so maybe I need to go do something about that. Or you've always got something. I was talking to one of my family members that that you know most of them work for Walmart, and so there's never any time for anything. But when are we going to realize that that's exactly what Satan's trying to do? Is keep us so busy with our own lives that we can we can easily ignore all the ones around us that are suffering. Now, we could talk about foreign missions, we can talk about a lot of things, but Arkansas is one of the states that has the highest rate of child starvation. We have kids in our own state that go to bed at night wondering if they're going to have food. What are we going to do to show them the compassion and the love of Jesus? We want to make sure that anyone that doesn't know about Christ has the opportunity to avoid those very things that we have read about tonight. But I mourn for those who will be left behind and who will suffer and die as God's wrath descends upon this earth. Frankly, if I hadn't accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and knowing what's coming, I'd probably hit the floor running to the altar. So you need to ask yourself if you've neglected this great salvation or Or if you've neglected those around you that need it. Before you get upset about that boss or that person at work or that family member who is rubbing you the wrong way, realize if they're not a believer, don't expect them to act like one. And then be reminded that you are a believer and you have the power to give them the greatest story ever known. That could change everything about them. We're so easy to write someone off as that's just someone we don't like. But as a believer, we have the responsibility to give them Jesus so that they can become someone who we would love. But even beyond that, Jesus said, even love your enemies. So then you're challenged that you don't even have room to be hating on them before they're a believer. In fact, you're supposed to love them even so then. If someone's to say that we're supposed to love the ISIS members, if I was to get up here and to, to proclaim that that's what we got to do, some would be in their heart saying, I wish I had a rock to throw it Pastor right now. Or maybe worse. But are we going to take Jesus at his word for what we're to do? Or not? And yes, there's scripture that talks about that we should, we should oppose evil. We should defend those who are helpless. I'm not saying we don't do anything about it, but I'm saying in our hearts we have to protect ourselves from becoming jaded. I rarely listen to the AFR, the 88 point whatever, but I happened to be listening to it today a little bit as I was running some errands and whoever's on there speaking was talking about the fact that many people will pray for blessings, but they've never forgiven their brother or their sister or someone for some wrongdoing, and so they're harboring this and never forgiven. He was giving a scriptural account about how God will not forgive you. Scripture says he will not forgive you if you're not forgiving others. He will not he will not forgive you of your trespasses if you won't forgive someone else of theirs. So much of what's getting ready to hit folks who are unbelievers that we see in the end times, we have every ability right now through our forgiveness of their wrongdoings, through giving them the gospel, to give them the same opportunity we have to avoid that and spend eternity with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No more sin, no more sorrow. And finally, find out what it, was, what it is to be A perfected body like god meant it to be all along i'm so looking forward to that i can't imagine what adam and eve experienced before sin came in to to be in in a perfected state that god just wanted them to be in relationship with him we've got to keep our focus church we've got to keep sharp with what's happening in the world we got to keep our eyes tuned for those of you that either been in the military or you wanted to be and, and you want to be that warrior god's calling you up to be that warrior Not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, the things, the evil we're seeing in the world. He's calling you up. But are you acting on that? I'm not looking forward to just riding up in the sky, thinking, whoop, I'm glad I left all those folks behind, and thank goodness for me. Breaks my heart how many folks are going to be woke up to the fact that they missed their opportunity, and now all they have left to look forward to is eternal separation from God let's bow our heads Jesus I thank you Lord for your word and while these sometimes when we go through the book of Revelation Lord there is some stepping on toes and hard to hear things but but God we need to understand that while this scripture and what John is telling us what John has seen what he's relaying to us is the very thing that you want us to rejoice in the fact that we will not be among those if we run the race if we if we live uh, in accordance to your word God if we Uh, accept the salvation you've freely offered, God, but at the same time, Lord, for us to ignore the fact that mass numbers of people, even by your word, will perish because they never made that choice. So, Lord, tonight in this room, I never, ever want to assume, just because I know folks in this room, that, that they either made that decision or that, Lord, they don't need to to meet up with you again and to make things right. Maybe they have unforgiveness in their heart or maybe they've they've ignored those around them, Lord. They've ignored that great salvation that could be offered to them. They've not been evangelizing. They've not been telling their story and telling the great story of what you did for them on the cross. And Lord, tonight's a night for us to set that straight, for us to refocus and look at your word and realize that there is a serious judgment coming and that... We aren't to sit here and rejoice of the fact that all those who don't believe like us, the, the, the left wing, the, the whatever we want to say is our enemy, Lord, that we, we rejoice or we, we mock as if we're going to be glad they're going to get what they, what's coming to them. Lord, I, I pray that you break our hearts for those that break yours. Jesus, I thank you that you're speaking to hearts right now. If you're here tonight and you have not asked jesus to be your lord and savior but you want to have him to take control of your life because it's a wreck maybe people don't know it but on the inside you've been a wreck and you need you know that there's nothing in this world that's going to fix it jesus will not make your life just easy but he will guide you and lead you and you'll be able to conquer things you've never conquered before endure things you never endured before because you've been doing it on your own If you're here tonight and you want to accept Lord Lord Jesus as your Savior, then I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Believers, if you're here tonight and you know that you've gotten a little bit complacent to what's coming, and now that we've read in Revelation what's coming for those who don't believe, there are some folks you need to have conversations with. There are some folks you need to be praying for. There are some folks you need to get bold and get over the fact that they annoy you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. I'm just going to ask us to take a few moments and just pray a prayer of commitment that tonight when we go home that we'll continue that conversation with the Lord. Pray, that, pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you'd help me, help those that are in agreement with me that, Lord, I need to do more I need to be bolder than I've ever been before. And, Lord, I need to be about your business every day. Lord, don't let my schedule be king. Let you be king over my schedule. Lord, I pray for divine appointments that when we walk into a place, God, you're already setting up the the meeting. God, I pray we'd be uh, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Lord, we'd watch out for the attempts of the enemy to distract us, to, to try to destroy us. And, Lord, we'd also look out for those around us when he's trying to do that to them. Lord, I pray for a Holy Spirit revival in the hearts of of the people here, that they begin to be filled with your Spirit. Lord, so full and overflowing that when they walk into their workplace or around their family, they know there's something that has changed. Let them stand out, Lord, like a million-watt candle has just been lit off in the room. And Lord, that they, they are shining so brightly that no one can ignore there's something in them that they need. And then let that lead to the conversation that gives an the opportunity to accept you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. Um...